Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, I am with Kimberly Duclos, who happens to be my mother. Um, and we're going to be talking to her about what it's like to be a family member of someone with addiction. Um, so would you like me to call you Kimberly or do you want me to call you mom or what's going on here? Doesn't really matter. Whatever you're comfortable with, Quinn. Okay. Mom is fine. Okay. So, Mom, um, I'd like you to introduce yourself to my listeners. Um, you know, what is it that you do, um, who you are, a little bit of background on yourself before we kind of jump into um, the story. Good morning, class. My name is Kimberly. I am Quinn's mom. Very proud of him. Um, I lived with addiction for my whole life. Um, I grew up with a parent, a single parent who was widowed. My father was an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic. I have a sibling who's an alcoholic, so I'm very versed in this topic. And I would consider myself probably an alcoholic by anybody else's standards, but our family. Um, I grew up in a very small town. There was nothing really to do. Um, I was educated in the community college system and recently received a degree in quality assurance education, administration, sorry, your education is your point. Um, I work for a hospital system and it works with women and children. And now I am starting to see in my adult life addiction in the births of babies which is very different for me. Um, I am here to talk to you about my life and what it's like to be living in and around the situation and how I dealt with it. And I'm hoping that you get some points, um, some red flags, some um, positive um, feedback for from Quinn, about what you can do to help people who have addiction. Yeah, so thanks, Mom. We're, we're going to kind of keep it casual. You sound kind of like, I don't know if you wrote some points up or something, but no. <laughs> we're just going to try and keep it casual. I was um, off the top of my head. Oh, was it? That's great. Um, so just like a conversation, you know, and um, I mean, if you want to talk about what it was like with um with your mom and your dad a little bit um, growing up with- No, you wanna uh, start over? We can start over. No, we don't have to start over, I'm recording. Um, okay. Yeah, no, that was, it was great. Um, this is what it's about. We wanna hear real stories and, and it's, you know, it's totally fine. So, I mean, if you wanna start off with a little bit about what your parents were like um, in that, in the, growing up in that environment and how that's kind of informed your adulthood I mean obviously growing up in a small town like what else is there to do besides going down to the liquor store and grabbing some grabbing something to drink right I mean can't go to the bowling alley or something because what's yeah. that it's sitting at, sitting at the Hamden house in the morning at eight, you know like after my father used to work third shift he'd go mm -hmm. to the Hamden house yeah what did you say he used to get uh I believe you always told the story of cornflakes and beer with with your dad yeah. So drinking was was normal in my house. Yep. You know? Yes. Everything revolved around parties and 
you know, we had a full bar downstairs. He converted the cellar. So it was always around alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And then he died when what you were 10, right? Correct. Yes. Yep. And so with Grandma Joan, who's your mother, um, what was it like being raised by the single mother who also had a similar issue? It was embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. It was awful. Um, she functioned very well, mm-hmm. but, um, and she was very well liked in the community because she had, um, you know, a, a really, a, a great job in town, but um, she would come home at whatever she, shift whenever her shift ended she would drink herself into a stupor and then pass out go to sleep so Mm -hmm. I didn't have friends over I always went to everybody's house I always made dinner I had a lot of responsibilities as a child and then you know looking back it it was just what I knew Mm -hmm. so going from you know going from that until your own up until your own relationship um what was it like when you met dad well um uh, i don't know i thought your dad was awesome when i first met him i still think your dad's awesome but he um was younger than i was is he's only two two and a half years or a year and a half two years younger than i am um when i met him I crashed his Christmas party um, and I, he just was so cool. He had a Camaro and he was cute and he was funny and um, we just had a great time. But what I didn't know was at that Christmas party, he had a bottle of rum under the table and he was making his own drinks. Hmm. Right? That, Typical That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that didn't bother me then. At that point in my life, I had just gotten out, you know, my own apartment and I was on my own and I really wasn't a heavy drinker then. Um, I just think maybe I uh, the day before my 21st birthday I went into a bar and had it in the corner because I was paranoid I was going to get carded mm. but dad was younger than me but that's they did that in their house too you know they always had their rum and pepsi and that was a thing and you know mm-hmm. Jeff was dating a diet coke girl it was like ooh taboo yeah and with with my grandfather dad's dad he eventually you know became sober in what the mid 90s yeah but that he was in a terrible car accident and that's what happened to him mm-hmm. yeah so um yeah so moving on from like when you guys met what was that late 80s right 1988 yeah because you were married in 1990 yep. so yeah Going on from there, what, what what did you notice about the drinking as it moved on? Well, I noticed that all of our social activities revolved around alcohol. Um, we had friends that, you know, we had parties with or they, you know, we stayed at their house and we played games or puzzles or whatever, but everything was involved around drinking. But when you're in your 20s, 
and you you're living on your own, you know, you kind of think that, oh, that this is normal. This is what people do. And, um, you know, at that point, neither one of us had a problem like getting up and going to work the next day or, you know, functioning or health issues either. But um, yeah, everything that we did. So you you figured it was kind of normal. Yeah. You know, normal. I mean, but then again, I, you know, I was never exposed to it um, socially. I mean, yes, in my house, but Mm -hmm. I never went out. I never went to, you know, house parties where, you know, like when I was a teenager, when somebody went away, their parents went away. I never went to things like that. Mm -hmm. So I just thought it was a normal progression of your twenties. And then um, we got pregnant with you and like drinking stopped for me and your father kept going and we, and, and then that's when he started traveling with work. So when he started traveling with work, it was not only within the United States, but it was international. And that's when it really started to ramp up. I mm-hmm. noticed, you know, when he would come home, um, he'd be okay, but you know, he'd always have to have his, actually a 30 pack of ice house. He would go through that in a weekend. Remember those I do days? remember ice house. Yeah. That was my first beer at like age five, See? but it was like a sip of beer. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, so, try this. You won't like it. Yeah. But, you know, I did notice like when he came home from places, he would bring fancy liquor bottles and, you know, he had this obsession with liquor bottles from other countries and he has a glass obsession anyway. So I just thought it was normal, but, um, Mm-hmm. just it, it, it's it scared me for him to be away because I, I guess I was must have been starting to notice it but then after I had you I was so busy you know trying to keep up with you in the house and him being gone so much again that I didn't really notice a lot the whole time that you and Rach were um growing up we kind of who's Rach Oh, I'm sorry. Rachel is your sister. My daughter, Rachel. Um, Four and a half years younger than I am. Yes. Um, So every, you know, our lives in that, at that time were focused on you guys. But again, we had, um, your father made sure that we had like stuff to do, like being in the boat and being on the sleds and stuff like that. But again, all of the friends that we used to hang around with, especially on the boat, we would drink constantly and it didn't phase your father at all. And it didn't phase me, which is awful. But, um, but that was the norm. We'd sit on the, on the beach on the Connecticut River. And just that was it. That was our social life. And again, yeah. you know, it's, it just happened to creep up. And then I don't even know. I can't even recall when we start, when your father started, when he switched over to vodka. I can't even recall that. Um, I don't know either. I may think when he worked for the, um, I don't want to say the name of the company, but when he had the white van yes, and he was uh, pulled over for the accident or like the, the small accident in the McDonald's parking lot. Yeah. I think that might have been part of it. And can you talk to um, what happened to him physically that might have led to that? Sure. Um, 
your father always had a bad back and um, he worked very, very hard to, to support us. He truly, truly did. He injured his back in um, 2012 at an organization um, that did not carry workman's comp insurance. So they paid for his surgeries and that was it. He went right back to work. He never had physical therapy. He never had the right treatment, I don't think. Um, he never had follow-up treatment. Um, so I think that injury, because it wasn't taken care of properly, really started his, um, like, I think you're totally right. I think it ramped up his, um, his drinking. Um, he, again, he was a functional alcoholic though. He, as far as I know, at that point, wasn't drinking on the job. There was a couple incidences where I think he, they found beer bottles in his, his work van. However, his story was always, um, you know, I'm collecting bottles because, you know, I need to buy this or I need to buy that or for the environment or whatever, which, you know, it could have been at the beginning because he was laid off several times and that's what he did. He, um, mm -hmm. He'd go and he'd collect returnables and go whatever, but. Um, yep. And just for clarification to those listening in Massachusetts, if you don't know, and several other Northeastern states um, in California and Hawaii as well, um, Glass bottles, plastic bottles, um, certain recyclables are five cent or 10 cent returnables. So if you collect bottles off the side of the road, you can return them for cash. So what my father would do was he would collect them off the side of the road if he saw them, put them in a bag and then go return them. But what the habit ended up being was that he would do that, get the returnable money and exchange it for the cheapest pint of vodka that you could get. You are correct, sir. You are definitely correct. Um, so after that injury in 2012, he ended up having three surgeries on his back. The last one was a fusion um, from, he was completely fused from L2 to S1. So his second lumbar to his first um, sacral joints all fused with titanium rods and coils which made him um, disabled, he could not work. And I think the combination of him being in pain and not being able to provide for his family put him into a huge depression. Mm -hmm. He was unwilling to get help. Um, during that time that he, I think his second surgery, he got addicted to Oxycontin mm -hmm. um, and just started spiraling out of there. It just, was awful. I, mean, I, don't know I, would, if, I don't know if you're willing, but would you uh, speak to the extent of the Oxycontin? Sure. Uh, yeah. So the Oxycontin was for his ankle. Was it for his ankle or for his? No, I think it was his second back surgery. Yeah, the ankle um, was later on. The ankle was later on. Um, so the Oxycontin was for the second surgery, which was the ma first major fusion that he had. The first one was a microsurgery. The second one was fusion. Um, he was supposed to be working from home because it, this legitimately, he, re he hurt his back again at, at a different company. Um, went through all the steps, had the surgery, was doing fine, um, stopped drinking, but was taking the oxy. 
Now, when I knew that there would be a problem, so I would leave, I think maybe, I think the two just to get him through the day until I got home. And somehow he was finding them and calling for more. And, and I didn't know because I was working and, you know, I had other things to do. And then, you know, he'd say, oh, I need to go to Walmart and get a prescription. And I had to go in and get it because he couldn't walk and it was Oxycontin. And I'm like, this is crazy. But mm-hmm. um, he weaned himself off of that, but back onto alcohol. Mm-hmm. So what were the differences you saw in him between the oxy and the alcohol? The oxy, he wasn't belligerent. Mm-hmm. Um, he just w- he would just like lay around and and not just not be belligerent. Like when when Dad had he went through a stage of, and he, I'm sure that you'll recall this um, from your youth. It's, he was the fun drunk, mm-hmm. um, and then he turned into the belligerent jerk Mm -hmm. drunk um and then he turned into the pathetic drunk Mm -hmm. uh, right before my eyes and I didn't I don't I noticed it but I don't know if I cared enough I mean I would hope that I cared enough I tried everything I could to help him but that those stages just were you know he where he couldn't get enough alcohol in him you know, we'd start in the morning and then, and then just go all day and sleep. And he was useless. He was absolutely useless in that, that peak of, of his alcoholism. He was useless. And I, I, I don't know. I loved him and I did everything that I could to help him, but he wasn't willing to help himself either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go ahead. It's mm-hmm. different from the oxy to the alcohol. Mm-hmm. But I think he was younger too. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, I think that would have been 2000. And, that would have been 2013 or 14 because he had a 2012 surgery and a 2012 third, and then he, his final fusion was 2016. And that's when they couldn't do anything more for him. And that's when it went downhill fast because he couldn't go back to work. And he, you know, I'm sure he was depressed about that. And then after his ankle surgery in 2018, yikes. Yeah. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So using the word yikes is uh, obviously never a good thing. Well, in between 2016 and 2018, um, your father had withdrawal. He had the DTs so bad. He what was are the DTs around. for our class? Delirium, delirium tremens. Tremens, is that it, Quinn? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. While he detoxed, he, he tried so hard to do it by himself. I know he did. He went days without alcohol, and then he would, his body would go through withdrawal, and he would start hallucinating. Um, one night, we had a bear in our backyard, and he actually physically called um, environmental services and told them that he shot the bear with a BB gun and he was laying under the chicken coop. So, and that had not happened. No, it absolutely had not happened. 
Was there actually a bear in the backyard? No, there was nothing. I went out. There was nothing. He was having hallucinations. So um, I took him to the doctor and the doctor did a direct admit to the hospital. And um, at that point, we found out that things were failing. I mean, and let me just backtrack a little bit. Um, your father was diagnosed with cirrhosis. Um, I want to say in his forties, his early forties, and mm. they gave him 15 years to live. If he didn't stop drinking, he never stopped drinking. That didn't phase him at all. He mm. just learned to lie and to hide it better. So fast forward to the first, um, the first detox that was after that was the motorcycle accident, right? Quinn? Like, yes. Okay. So his, I might so go talk about track. that in a little bit more. Okay. No, just talk about the motorcycle accident in a little bit more detail because it's not Most, really an accident. <laughs> no, it was not an accident. Actually, it was an incident. Um, so Jeffrey had um, detoxed from the hospital in January and we had decided to actually separate a little bit. If you call it a little bit, um, we decided to like start dating over. One day he called me and told me that his nephew, um, Matthew, who is his godson also, was having a baseball game and he wanted to pick me up and take me on the back of his Harley, which was our common bond, to Matthew's game. And we did. We drove around for a little while. We went and saw Matthew's game. It was getting dark. He said, let's go home. I said, okay. We got home, pulled up the driveway, and he went to put the kickstand down on his bike. And the bike was so heavy that it tipped over towards his right instead of towards his left, which is where the kickstand was, and twisted his ankle, broke his ankle in a trimalleolar fashion, which means he had a fracture of all three bones of his, his ankle. And I could not lift the bike off of him. So when the paramedics were called, um, they got him off the bike. They asked me um, allergies and anything. And I said to them, He's also a recovering alcoholic because at that point I thought he was recovering and um, he, he should not have anything, any medication that isn't necessary, any pain medication. So they said to him, when was your last drink? And he said three months ago. So mm -hmm. like at that point, okay, that's lines up. The timeline lines up. They took him to the hospital, got him stabilized and ready for surgery and they they came to me and they kept asking me when was his last drink when was his last drink when was his last drink and I said three months ago three months ago three months ago they got him out of OR up to a bedroom and he started um, detoxing and they pulled me aside and they said his last drink was this morning oh my so, goodness that's when it hit me that he took me, not only did he endanger me um, on the back of the motorcycle, but um, he lied to me, which he was very good at. He was very good at lying, but I was also very good at being naive and not wanting to know the truth. Mm -hmm. But that's what happened with his ankle. That's what started that. Um, that was a mess. That was a mess. His ankle never healed right. But now, and you'll know when you're, 
you'll know this, that when you drink an excessive amount of alcohol, your bones thin. So his bones were so porous that his foot, when it healed, it healed. So he was like a duck, you know, out towards the right. So that was causing pain and again, more depression because he didn't ask for help. So now also with the ankle and the foot and everything, were there any other conditions that were exacerbated by that? Well, his back made his back worse. Mm -hmm. And what about, what about the gout? The gout, not necessarily from the trauma. The gout was always about the drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was supposed to be on a medication that was like a prophylactic. And he never, I mean, he took it until it ran out. And then he would never get it refilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also put on the medication that when you take it, you're, it makes you sick when you drink. Stop doing that. He mm-hmm. never liked to take medication. He mm-hmm even for his cholesterol and blood pressure, mm-hmm. he didn't like doctors and, you know, he just didn't really care about his health. And for the few times that we went to therapy, the therapist told us that he had a death wish because he was doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess kind of what I was getting at there was it's a constellation of things. Um, it's not just the alcohol, but the alcohol is kind of exacerbating what, was was that there oh absolutely oh yeah yeah so sorry to interrupt you but you know keep going if you want yeah no no i mean i'm just rambling right now because you know you just it's funny how you say one thing and it just sparks a memory of another so but i might go off on a tangent i'm really sorry no, don't be well, sorry, because that's kind of what this is about. It's telling the story of a real person. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you're my mother, but you're also a real person with real experiences. And I can never know how you experienced this. I can only know how I experienced it. Yeah. And I can never know how Rachel experienced it. Yeah. Someone else in the family. So that's why I wanted to get your perspective and share that with you know, the audience. Well, let's see after, after his ankle surgery, um, what happened? let's see, that was pretty intense. That ankle surgery. He, um, let's fast forward it a little bit. Sure. He, he healed from that. Um, that was his first detox, right? Yes. Right after his was his first detox um and that was was that the one we sent to texas uh i'm not sure um 2018. so his his second his second it was detox. the second okay. one at the end of the year second. i believe that was like november but what yeah. prompted that was i that don't a remember DUI? I, it might have been a dui on the bike yeah. I remember he was going like like 60 or 80 on the back roads. It was like 35 and he got pulled over. Yeah. Or that might have been yeah. in the Jeep or something. I, th- I think it was in the Jeep because the last two were on his bike. So, yeah. So, he got a DUI um, that – was that the one that he went to jail for? No, no, no. no. That was the last one. So, we got a DUI. Excuse me. <laughs> 
and lost his license for a little while and um, was very dependent on me. And that's when I started to get very angry because um, I know, I knew, I knew the signs, I knew the signs and they were there the whole time. And I just chose to not, yes, ignore them to a certain degree, but hope and pray that he wouldn't lie to me. Thank you for joining us with part one of this episode. Part two will be up shortly. Um, I really appreciate you listening to Kimberly's story, and we will continue uh, very shortly. Hope you enjoy.